turn to uh, Psalm 102, and we'll uh, take a look at that tonight. Hopefully it'll be an encouraging time for you. We all need a little bit of encouragement. And I've entitled it, after we looked at this poor guy and everything that he said for the last, uh, what, three weeks, and uh, boy, you can't help but feel sorry for him, and you realize he's really down, he's in despair, he can't figure things out. And uh, so uh, now he gets to this point where you realize, well, he hasn't lost his faith. He's just redirected his focus. And, you know, so many times that's what happens. We look at the wrong things. We focus upon the wrong things, the wrong people, the wrong situations, and then we're in trouble. We need to focus upon the Lord. Well, he's going to change his focus tonight. I'll explain the picture uh, in a little bit. When we read the text, uh, it, I was in Tuttle and uh, we had a tragedy that took place there. There was a, uh, I believe she was a teenage girl that uh, was hurt and killed. And uh, she wasn't a member of our church, but uh, she was related to some people in our church and um, related to a pastor that came out of our church. And so uh, they called me and asked me if I would assist in the funeral. Well, when I got to the family home with this other pastor who was related to all of them, I uh, remember one of the things he said was, and, and it really meant a lot to the family because he was one of them. And uh, we gathered around to pray, and he made this statement, and I thought of that as we got ready to do this. Let's not think about all the things we don't understand in, in the death of this, this girl and the why and the timing of it and the circumstances of it. He goes, we'll never be able to answer that. But as Christians, there are certain things that we do have answers to. He said, I would like for us to pray and focus on the things we know instead of the things that we don't know. Boy, that just obviously resonated in my heart because that was a couple of decades ago <clears throat> and it's so true what gets us tripped up and messed up is we look around and we say this one word why and sometimes we add something to it why them why this why now why me why 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 all of that and how many times do you get an answer to that well let's be fair sometimes you do Sometimes things make sense. Sometimes there's information that kind of puts it all together. But boy, there's a lot of times when we ask the question, why? And we don't understand, how can God be good and allow this to happen? Why would a God who is sovereign and in control allow this kind of thing to happen? You know, I can't tell you how many times in witnessing to somebody, the question comes up. Well, if God is a good God... Why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? And of course, we like as humans to take the moral high ground. Their insinuation is, well, if I were God, I wouldn't have wars. If I were God, nobody would be starving. If I were God, there wouldn't be people killed in accidents. If I were God, there wouldn't be any cancer or anything like that. And uh, that's our way of saying, I could do a whole lot better job running this universe than God has done, so why should I trust him? It's kind of the insinuation in there. And um, when we as believers 
go through trials and go through suffering and go through grieving and that kind of thing and then we immediately focus on the things we don't understand and that we can't answer the the sad thing is and the reality is we start sounding like lost people don't we we start asking the same questions and we go into despair just like they do because well I even had a church member one time tell me in something that was going on how could God possibly be involved in any of this because I would never do that to one of my children now you hear the insinuation God either doesn't know what he's doing or he's mean he's not really good he's not really faithful I wouldn't do this so why is God doing this as though this person well more than an insinuation they were actually saying I'm better than God I would uh, do a better job on this than God would okay have you ever asked anything remotely like that because I have and I've had times when I've said Lord you said all things work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose that would be me but I sure don't see any good in this how can this possibly be good now don't look spiritual at me because you've got a ton of things like that you don't understand injustice in the world you don't understand the cruelty of people in the world you don't understand the suffering that goes on in the world and we just don't have a good firm answer for it and sometimes you know we tell people well just have faith and they get mad that's all you've got for me just have faith Well, the Bible does say without faith it's impossible to please God. And the Bible does say that um, it's, it's through faith that God works. So yeah, trust God. Have faith. Trust in what you know. And here's where we're going with all of this. The psalmist had a lot of questions and those questions were not being answered. He didn't understand and they led him to nothing but despair. But he turns around now and he starts focusing upon what he does know and then he has firm footing. It changes his attitude. And uh, I'll just say this, that's the same thing that will happen to you. So when someone says, well, just have faith, they're not telling you, ah, just let it go and don't worry about it and who cares. They're telling you to take everything that you don't know that is the unanswerable and Flip that over and start trusting in the things that you do know about God. Now, one day, all of your questions will be answered. The Bible says we will know even as we are known. I don't really think we're going to get to heaven. I've heard people say, well, I've got some things I'm going to ask God. As if God is accountable to you? As if you're going to have that right? I don't buy that. But I do think this. When we get to heaven and you're enraptured in the glory of heaven and the presence of God, I I think you're going to have a supernatural knowledge and everything's going to make sense. I don't think when you get up to heaven, you're going to, okay, big boy, you better better give an account to me. I want to know what went on. I don't think any of that's going to bother you when you get up there. So one day we will understand it better by and by. Hmm, Sounds like an old song, doesn't it? And uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. We will know even as we are known. But down here on earth, there are things we're never going to know. We're never going to understand. And God doesn't owe us any explanation. And we couldn't handle it if he did give it to us. Because we don't see the end from the beginning and how everything fits together. That's waiting for us when we're glorified, but not now. So God calls upon us to trust in the things 
that we do know and things that he has revealed to us just like uh, that family going through a tragedy they could focus on all the questions that they had but they would never get an answer but there were certain things that uh, the word of God taught them that they could stand on and that's true for all of us so don't focus on the unknown focus upon what you do know now it reminds me of one of my favorite verses Deuteronomy 29 29 and uh, you know where I'm going with this the secret things belong to the Lord our God now that would be enough if the Lord just stopped there he didn't have to tell us anything he didn't have to reveal our sin he didn't have to reveal Christ as Savior. He didn't have to reveal anything that he could have just left us alone and let us die and go and spend eternity in hell. And he would have been perfectly just in doing that and giving us what we deserve for our sins. But he didn't. And this verse goes on to say, But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Why? That we may do all the words of this law now sometimes we want to think well God ought to reveal things to me so that I will understand and when I understand then I'll serve him and uh, Moses is writing this saying no there there's some things you're just not going to get but the things you do know and that have been revealed that's where you stand because those things enable you to please God and not live like a pagan not ask the same questions that a lost person does and not be in despair because you don't get all of the answers what do you really think about God what do you really believe about God what is it that is rock solid when we think about our Lord that'll carry us through the things that we don't get and we don't understand there are some things about Joe Biden I don't understand and he's not talking to me. Have you gotten a call from him lately? There are some things that uh, some people in Congress and some people in the bureaucracies, they, I don't understand what they're doing or what they're thinking. There are people that uh, I, I would like to talk to and get some answers from. And, uh, you know, they're high up or they're billionaires or they're, uh, you know, they own companies or businesses or whatever. I sure would like to know sometimes what it is that they're thinking and why they do what they do but they don't return my calls they don't answer my emails you know but I can talk to the king of the universe and I don't know everything about God and you don't either but I know enough and I know what he's revealed and it's enough to keep us straight it's enough to keep us stable it's enough to get us through you know, the disciples were in the boat with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and the storm comes up and it was a humdinger and uh, Jesus is asleep. He wasn't worried a bit. And the disciples, even the professional fishermen, panicked. Wake up, Lord, Master. Don't you care that we are perishing? And all he had to do was say, peace, be still, wind and waves. And they go, oh, what kind of a man is this that he speaks to the wind and the waves and uh, they calmed down. And they were not really assured of his word because he said, get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, if the Lord says go to the other side, you're going to the other side no matter what blows up, right? And they were afraid that because he wasn't up and doing something, they were going to perish. Well, they weren't. They should have been as calm in the boat as Jesus was. 
And Jesus was calm in the boat because he knew there wasn't a storm that's ever been made that could conquer him or destroy him. His mission was to go to the cross, not drown in the Sea of Galilee. So it didn't bother him and it didn't bug him. And we don't have that type of faith because we really don't have a good, sound knowledge and understanding of God. He's revealed enough to us. So our text tonight is in verse 12. Psalm 102, verse 12. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever, and the remembrance of your name to all generations. You will arise and have mercy on Zion, or Jerusalem, for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. It's here. I don't know how he knew that. But he knew it. Maybe he'd been reading in Jeremiah like Daniel had been. And he knew it. So he was standing on that. Verse 14. For your servants take pleasure in her stones. And show favor to her dust. Verse 15. For the, so the nations shall fear the name of the Lord. Wouldn't that be nice? And all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion, or build up Jerusalem, and he shall appear in his glory. He's coming, coming again. Verse 17. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute. And, and maybe we could understand it when the Lord comes. He's going to pay attention to those who were previously destitute. They won't be when the Lord comes, just for a little clarification, he shall regard the prayer of the destitute, those that everybody else overlooked, and he shall not despise their prayer. Now, what, what is the psalmist saying and what is his understanding? Now, he doesn't have full understanding because he didn't have the New Testament that he could read. He doesn't understand everything Jesus is going to do and he doesn't understand all of the the uh, coming of the Lord, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, and then the church age and the age of Pentecost and all of that. He doesn't understand those things. The First Thessalonians 4, rapture of the church and the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven and the great tribulation on earth and then the return of the Lord with all of his saints to rule and reign. He doesn't know all of that, but he knows some of it, doesn't he? He uh, may have some things that he thinks about. How in the world is this going to take place? Well, that's one of the things. We don't know exactly how it's going to take place. We piece things together and we have our eschatology, the end times of things. But there are a lot of things in there we don't understand. There are a lot of things that may turn out to be differently than what we understand. But you know what gives us hope? Not that we've got all of the ins and outs of eschatology figured out that doesn't really matter a whole lot what matters is our Lord is going to return and when he returns we are going to be joyful and we are going to be blessed uh, when that happens that's what we're looking for that's what Paul said is the blessed hope that we have Jesus is coming again but there's enough and there's enough in the verses that we read to take you out of despair. There's enough in the verses we read to cause you to look with optimism into the future. There's enough in what we read to strengthen your faith 
in the Lord and whatever he's going to do and however he does it and whomever he chooses to use, the psalmist probably would tell us, that's okay, that part doesn't matter. I'm just glad God hadn't fallen asleep. I'm glad he hadn't fallen off of his throne. I'm glad that he knows what he's doing. I'm glad he's got everything under control and I will just rest in him like Jesus did in the boat during the storm. Now again, we think that what is happening here as the psalmist writes this is that Babylonian exile and captivity is either just happened and Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed Jerusalem and they're being taken away as exiles or it's the time and it kind of what we read tonight leads me to believe that uh, this man had been reading the prophet Jeremiah like Daniel did and said oh it's time it's time for uh, the rebuilding of the temple. It's time for the restoration back to the land. And so he says that. And he says it in faith because he believes the word of God. And he believes that God's promises are true. And God's power is true. So with all of that in mind, he's starting to perk up. And he's thinking, if I look at myself and I look at the world around me, man, that's depressive. It's that Corey Ten Boom thing. Look at the world and you'll be depressed. Look to Jesus and you'll be blessed. And that's what we need to learn to do. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Remember, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth. All of the depressing, disgusting, despicable things on earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We just don't do that very much or very well or we discount it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I've done that and I'll do that and I've heard that before. And uh, you ever had somebody you're giving an answer like that and they don't even listen to you? They just sort of interrupt and dismiss. They're very dismissive about what you say. Don't be dismissive about faith. Don't be dismissive about trusting God. Don't be dismissive about clinging to Jesus in your tough times. Okay? So when we uh, think about what he is saying here, what is the Lord saying to people like us? Because we're going to go through tough times. We're going to have the uncertainties. Why is it that some of the godliest people I know have rebellious children? I don't know. Why is it that some people that really didn't bother raising their children right, they're in church tonight because there's some of you. Why did that happen and how did that happen? I don't know. I don't understand. Why are there some things God allows into some people's lives and other people, he doesn't allow it into their lives? I don't know. I just trust him. I figure he knows what he's doing and he knows us and he knows what we can handle. And some of the th same things that strengthen you, your trials, maybe would crush me. And so he calls me exempt from some of those things and vice versa. Maybe the, some of the things I've been through, you would have trouble handling, but he's prepared me for them. And so um, he uses them. I don't know. I don't understand why my high school friend, who was one of the godliest people I know and has been since he was a teenager, I don't understand why he has ALS and can't move or do anything like that. I don't, I don't understand that kind of thing. I don't know why my mom died of leukemia at the age of 63, which is where I am now. Why am I privileged to outlive her? I don't know. I don't understand that. There are just too many unanswerable questions. So let's quit asking them. Let's say this. I don't know what's going on in Washington. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know what's going on in the deep state. You've heard that term. I don't know what's going on in the environment. I don't know what's going on in other people's lives and all of that. But here's one thing I do know. Number one, 
the certainty of God himself. I cannot be an atheist. There's too much that I see around me that gives me absolute confidence in the fact that God exists. And then when I read in the word of God and I find out how God is described and who he is, I think about this, verse 12. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever. Boy, that gives me peace. And that gives me hope. Because whenever we have earthly leaders that come up, we're getting ready to go into an election year. Get ready for all of the campaign commercials. Every other one while you're binge watching your favorite show. And uh, the ones that are going to, you're going to go, yeah, that was a great one. Boy, I hope everybody sees that. There'll be some of those. And then there'll be some others where you go, oh, good night. I can't believe they even have the audacity to say that. What's this world coming to? You know, that kind of stuff. That's going to be happening here very, very shortly. And we're going to be looking and, and, and you know, when uh, November comes next year, a little over a year from now, we're either going to be really happy or we're going to be really sad, really disgusted. And uh, every election that I have been involved in since I've been an adult. I voted for the first time in uh, 1980. I'll give you three guesses who I voted for, and uh, the first two don't count. And, uh, you know, it's just about every election that I've ever voted in has been framed as something like this. Have you heard this before? This is the most important election of our lifetime. Sometimes I say the most important election in American history. Okay. I don't know. I wasn't alive for some of the other ones. I don't know what happened. Seems like George Washington's election would be pretty important too. Uh, just to get this country off of the ground and stabilize it. But nonetheless, I don't know. It's hard to analyze those kind of things. And I'm not sure that even the experts... I'm kind of tired of hearing from the experts lately. Seems like everybody has an expert, and the expert's supposed to control us. And, uh, you know, God-given common sense can take you a long way and maybe even make you smarter than the experts. But I don't know. I've heard that... Ever since I've been voting, this is the most important election of our lifetime. America is on the brink. Our economy can't stand this person. And our military is going to fall apart if this person is elected. And, and Russia, the Soviet Union, or whomever, is going to take advantage of us if this person is elected. And I don't know, we may not have another election. I'm hearing those same things this year. And hearing people say those same things. And uh, you know what I think about all of that? No matter who is elected, God's still on the throne. And no matter who it is and what it is that happens, and maybe God wants to allow America to just fizzle and uh, be uh, you know, on the ash heap of history. I don't know. He's done that with several other nations. He even did that with Israel, didn't he, for a time. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. And I don't know how God is going to use all of that to bring prophecy about. But I do know this, whatever it is that comes, God is on the throne. And the Bible says here that he shall endure. And how long does he endure? Who, who's his successor? Who's his predecessor? He doesn't have one. Who's coming after him? Nobody, because he's not going anywhere. 
And he's not going to be pushed off of his throne. He won't have an impeachment against him. He's not going to be outvoted. He's not going to have anything like that. He will be there and he will endure forever. And I think sometimes in our trials, in our trials, just be honest with yourself. Sometimes it almost, even though we would never say this, but the thought comes to our mind, how could God possibly get any glory out of this? How could God possibly allow this to happen? And some people have said uh, over the years that I have lived, which are considerable, you're not supposed to question God. I haven't found that in the Bible. I haven't found that verse. Maybe it's in Regulations 25, verse 5, or something like that, or Hezekiah 2, 4, or Mark 17, or something like that. Did y'all hear about the uh, pastor one time? He's preaching through Mark, and he got to the 16th chapter, and he said, now your homework assignment this next week is read the next chapter in Mark, Mark 17. And they got back together, and he said, how many of you did your homework and read Mark 17? There are people that raise their hands and all that. There is no Mark 17, you know. And we're kind of like that. So read your Bible and read the parts that are actually in there. And uh, I, I think about all of these things that the Lord is doing and how we can piece them together and uh, how wrong we can be sometimes. I think uh, about how many times I've heard people say, said it myself a few times, well, I'm not sure where it is, but somewhere in the Bible, doesn't it say, and then people bring it out. One person said one time, well, doesn't it say in the Bible that every tub must stand on its own bottom? I'm like, what translation are you using, you know, for that? But we get these concepts in our mind. Or how about this one? This is one of the big ones. Well, you know, the Bible says God will never give you more than you can bear. Verse not in there. You won't be tempted above what you're able to bear. But he never said you won't go through situations that are bigger than you. We have to. That's what causes us to depend upon the Lord. And so we need his strength. We need his power. And uh, no one will ever take his crown away. No one will kick him off of the throne. Nothing like that is going to happen. We may kind of have those feelings. And we may wonder sometimes. But that's where we've got to go. So when you're going through uh, your rough time. And you you just feel a big degree of uncertainty. And a lot of questions. Just go back to what you know. God is on the throne and no one is ever going to uh, take him off of the throne that is a firm thing that's a promise and no one came before him and no one will come after him or replace him nothing like that is going to happen in fact the psalmist said not only that but no one's even going to wipe out his memory you know sometimes we uh, think about the sayings that uh, uh, our liberty is one generation from evaporating we've got to teach our children well that's true that's true. But some people have also said the same thing about Christianity. Have you ever heard this? Christianity is one generation away from extinction. Not if God's alive. He always has a remnant. He always has a people. And his word endures forever. Don't ever worry about that. Why? Because God is on the throne. And he's calling out a people and saving people. There will always be Christian people on the earth until Jesus comes. Okay? Take heart. Number two. The certainty of God's promise. Does God keep his word? Is God a liar? Hmm? No. But we act like it sometimes. 
And uh, sometimes we're not sure that maybe he didn't slip up or maybe he didn't, that maybe he forgot. Maybe he got distracted. Something happened in China and he said, oh, let me get back to you and I'll get back to you in a few days. And uh, then he just never does. That doesn't happen with the Lord. Because the Bible says in verse 13, you will arise and have mercy on Zion, on Jerusalem. For the time to favor her, yes, the set time has come. Okay, we're in 586 B.C. We're in the nation of Judah. And uh, all of a sudden, Babylonians come into the city. And we've never seen Babylonians before, but they overwhelmed our army. Let's say we're ancient Israelis. And uh, they come in, and lo and behold, they walk into the temple. Now, you walk into the temple and go into the wrong place, you're dead. Babylonians go in there, and God doesn't do anything. What's happening? What's going on? Why isn't God killing them for going into the Holy of Holies, touching the Ark of the Covenant? Why isn't God killing them for taking uh, battering rams and knocking down the walls of the temple? And in a matter of time, I don't know how long it took, but that beloved temple where you loved to go and worship that you were so proud of that was one of the wonders of the ancient world is a pile of rubble, nothing but stones, nothing but dust. Maybe you can see the dust rising up into the atmosphere and you look at that and say, God, where are you? God, you promised to favor us. You promised to bless us. You promised we could have this land. And then Babylonian soldiers show up at your house and they say, come out here. And all your family comes out into the front yard. And that soldier takes a sword and he kills your grandparents right in front of your eyes because they're not of any use to uh, him. And then he takes maybe your father or your mother or your brother or your sister. And he says, you, you're coming with me. Where are we going? You're going to Babylon. Didn't get a vote. You didn't get a choice. Nothing is going to change it. You're put in chains. You're handcuffed to a caravan. And off you go to Babylon. And then while you're going on your way to Babylon, the soldiers are mocking you. Oh, your God is really powerful, isn't he? Why don't you sing a song about your God and, and sing about how great and powerful he is? Uh, you know how great thou art? Why don't, why, don't you, why don't you sing that? That'd be a good one. And so one psalmist said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down, and yea, we wept when we remembered Zion, Jerusalem. We hung our harps on the willows for how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Because all they're going to do is just make fun of you and mock your God. They think their God's conquered your God. Can you imagine how that must feel? Can you imagine what's happening? And now after 70 years, 70 years, you're reading in the book of Jeremiah, again, just like Daniel did, and you realize it's, it's time. It's time to go back. Now, how's this going to happen? Well, see, Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered you and conquered your nation and destroyed your temple, but he didn't, uh, his kingdom didn't last very long because there was a Persian kingdom that came right after that, and um, there's uh, Darius the Mede and then Cyrus the Great ruling on the throne. And now you're a part of the Persian Empire, not the Babylon Empire, because the Babylonian Empire is no more. 
And this king from Babylon, this pagan Gentile king, makes a decree that says, okay, you guys who are from Israel, you can go back. And you can go back and you can rebuild your temple. I want your life to resume what it was before. Uh, Cyrus the Great, his philosophy was, if we can let people have as normal a life as possible in their own lands, they'll be less likely to revolt against us. So he showed that kindness that Nebuchadnezzar never showed. So what do you see when you get back to Jerusalem? Not much. Stones, dust, all the precious things, all the landmarks, all the memories that you have have been destroyed. It's poor. The people are old and feeble. And uh, there's just not much there. And yet when you go over to where the temple once was, can you imagine how they must have felt when they came in and they said to their children, this is where your mama and daddy and your grandma and your grandpa used to worship. And that little boy looks up wide-eyed and said, this? It's nothing but a mountain of rubble, a pile of rocks. And can you imagine thinking about what it says in this verse we just looked at? Yeah, but those are precious stones. That's where the glory of God was. Boy, it sure is dusty here. Yeah, but that's precious dust. That's where the glory of God once was. That's where the lambs were sacrificed. That's where the singing took place. And I can imagine that as they cleared that rubble and as they built the new temple, the second temple as uh, the Jews call it, they were very careful. And I wonder what they found when they dug around in that rubble as they were moving those big stones and moving the dust and getting ready to lay the foundation. I wonder if they found some of their scrolls. I wonder if they found some of their ancient writings. I wonder if they found some of the artifacts of the temple that Nebuchadnezzar didn't take and put in his treasury. And when they did, can you imagine one of those old Jews picking up maybe a part of the Torah and as he takes it and he hugs it to his chest and he said, look what I found. It's the word of God. And can you imagine the people as they would weep and as they would say, one day we'll have a temple again where we can worship and we can do this. You know, the Jews are still like that today. Because that temple, that second temple that they built after the Babylonian Empire, it was destroyed in A.D. 70 by Titus, the Roman general. And Jerusalem was destroyed and uh, flattened. And they even put salt in the soil so nothing would grow there again. And Israel lay desolate. And God's chosen people were scattered all over the earth. And there are some places where they prospered. But there were some places where they were put into ovens. There were some places where their families stayed intact and they worked together and they had businesses and they could pass that business and that trade on down to their children. There were other places where they were slaughtered and run out of the country and all of those kind of things. But then there was a time when God said enough. And on May, I believe it was the 8th of 1948, they raised on a flagpole the Star of David. And Israel once again was an independent state, an independent Jewish state, just like God had promised. Did you know that President Harry Truman, meeting with a rabbi who is uh, the grandfather, I believe, of the present uh, president of Israel, Harry Truman was the first one 
to recognize the independent state of Israel, which means the United States. We were the very first out of the entire earth to say we recognize Israel as an independent nation. That's a blessing. And as long as we support Israel, we may limp along, but we'll survive. God blesses those who blesses the Jews. If we turn our back on Israel, we'll be like England and other places who've turned their back and they lost their empires. But if you go to Israel today and see that picture with Sammy and me, you know where we're sitting? On the south steps of the temple. Those steps where Jesus would have walked, some of those steps are not quite 2,000 years old, but some of them are. And that's where Jesus and Mary and Joseph and all those people would have sat. And so we sat there because one day that temple is going to be rebuilt. But in the meantime, you should see the care that the Jews take with each stone. And they sift through each part of the dirt looking for anything they can of their heritage and anything they can to remind them of the greatness of God and what he has done. And so when I read in here where it says that they love the stones, they sure do. They sure do, and they're so careful with them. In some places we saw, our guide would point out, as you look at this wall, do you see that part where there's kind of a, a dark line going through there? Yeah, we see it. That's where the original stones were and where they stood. And the ones on top, they may be original, but they had fallen down and we just put them back on there. But that's what was still standing. They are so careful because they love their land. They love Jerusalem. They love the temple. They love all of those artifacts and all the things. Israel, my goodness, and all the museums and everything there, you can't imagine what all they have because they're careful. And they love their land and they love the stones. And one day there's going to be a new temple set up where we're sitting right there. And that's where the Lord Jesus is going to reign. And that's where the kings of the earth are going to come. And they're going to gather and seek wisdom from the Lord and give glory and honor to the Lord. And the psalmist doesn't give us all of the details. We have to read the rest of the Bible for that. But he gives us enough. Enough to have hope. To know enough that that's not going to lay desolate forever. That mosque, that dome of the rock, that mosque of Omar is not going to be on the place of the temple forever. Something is going to happen. God is going to be faithful to his people and he is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. We were in the place where the Lord Jesus is going to set his feet when he returns. We were on the Mount of Olives. That's an amazing thing. God has proven over and over that he is faithful to his word and he is faithful to his promises. So do you think he's going to fumble the ball with you? God is taking care of his people all through the ages and uh, God will take care of you as well. And in 1967, the Jews fought a war they were supposed to lose and they ended up winning. They ended up gaining more land and they ended up gaining Full control of Jerusalem now. And Jerusalem is now the capital of Israel. And the U.S., just in the last couple of years, we moved our embassy to Jerusalem, which was a very wise and honorable thing to do. And so we know that for certain, His promises. Number three, we know the certainty of God's triumph. Is He going to make it? Is He actually going to win? Is He actually going to pull it off? Is He actually going to be the victor? Well... 
Verse 14 says, For your servants take pleasure in her stones. We already made reference to that. And show favor to her, her dust. Look at verse 15. So the nations, the Gentiles, shall fear the name of the Lord. That sounds like victory to me. And all the kings of the earth, your glory. Really? Kings, nations, all of those people, Gentiles, coming to see the truth of the true and the living God that the Israelis have worshipped since the time of Abraham? Yeah, that's going to happen. Talk about vindication. Talk about victory. Talk about setting everything in order. And that really is going to happen. And so when they came back from Babylon, they, were, they revered the stones of the destroyed temple. And of course they do that today as you can see in that picture. Why? Because they are making ready for the Messiah to come. Now the Muslims think that if they can put a Muslim cemetery up by the eastern gate. Then the Messiah won't dare come through that. Well, got news for you. It's going to happen. Like it or not. Ready or not. Jesus is coming again. And uh, that's going to be a glorious thing. And uh, how many of you have not been to the Holy Land? Let me, let me see your hands. You've not been there. Okay. Maybe we can get a group and go sometime. Would you be interested in that? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? But let me tell you something. Even if you never make it in this life, you're going to go and Jesus will be your tour guide because you're going to go with him when he comes down to that place because his promises are true. Okay? Number four. The certainty. Focus on the certainty that God hears prayer. You know, sometimes we talk about prayer and we say, oh, we prayed and our prayers didn't make it past the ceiling. Well, God hears below the ceiling, folks. Because he's here with us. He's here with us, even tonight. He's not far off. He's right here with us. The Holy Spirit lives within you. God is omnipresent. He's here. He's below the ceiling. And he knows what you pray, good or bad, right or wrong. He knows. And it says, for the Lord shall build up Zion. Can you imagine what Jerusalem is going to look like when Jesus is the architect? Can you imagine what it's going to be like when he's the engineer? Can you imagine what it's going to be like when he puts his carpentry skills to work and uh, fixes all of that that's broken and puts it all together? It's going to be amazing. Solomon's temple will have nothing on the millennial temple that the Lord Jesus will put up. The Lord will build up Zion and he shall appear in his glory. You know, when he came uh, at Christmas time, he came veiled and he came enshrouded in human flesh. And nobody thought much about it. There was a baby born last night. A big deal. There are always babies born, right? Not like this. But when he comes again, the psalmist gets it here. Now, he doesn't tell us whether he's premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, or anything like that. Because he doesn't know all of that kind of stuff. But look what he says. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He knew enough there. He's coming back to Jerusalem. And he shall appear in his glory. He knew one thing. That when all of this happens. The Lord is going to come back. And every eye is going to see it. And that is going to be an amazing thing. And verse 17 says. And he's going to regard the prayer of the destitute. All of you nobodies are going to be heard. You're going to be somebody when Jesus returns. And he's going to hear your prayer. You'll have an audience with the king. So he's going to return to Jerusalem. And uh, he will take up David's throne, just like 
uh, the angel said to Joseph, Don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is in her is of the Holy Spirit, and he will reign on the throne of his father David. That, that's so important, and that's going to literally happen there in Jerusalem. And he'll rule on earth, and he will care for the forgotten, he will care for the destitute, he will care for the oppressed, and he will pay attention to the forgotten. A lot of times as Christians, we're overlooked, we're forgotten, we're no big deal. Who cares what the Christians think? Who cares what a people gathered in a church on a Wednesday night thinks? Well, God does. And one of these days, you're going to see it in a tangible way like you cannot even believe. Because the Lord has redeemed you and he indwells you. And because of that, we know that we are the beloved of God. And that is going to be expressed fully in your life in a way that you cannot even imagine. Not only in heaven, but when we come down here to earth to rule and reign for a thousand years with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see these things that we talked about tonight and we'll remember them. We'll remember them. And we will see these things literally fulfilled. I hope that when the Lord rebuilds Zion and all of that, I hope I have the privilege to stand by this guy. And you know what I'm going to do? Poke him in this. Look at that. You called it. You called it. Won't that be exciting to see all of those things fulfilled right before your very eyes? And so don't focus on the things that you don't know, that you can't figure out. They belong to the Lord. He's got that. But focus on the things that you do know and let your faith be strengthened and carry on and press on until Jesus returns. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we do know that you're watching over the earth. You're ruling over the earth. You raise up leaders. You cast down leaders. You raise up nations. You cast down nations. Uh, that's all clear in the Bible. And we ask you to have mercy on us and have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on our leaders. Have mercy as we come into this next election. Have mercy on us and uh, help us, Lord. We desperately need your help. And we need revival in our land, spiritual awakening in our land. And uh, I know, Lord, that our sin and our depravity and all of our perversion rises up before you like a stench in your nostrils. And I'm so sorry for that because you bless this land so much. And you've given us so much natu national, uh, natural resources, liberty and freedom, prosperity economically. Uh, we think about all of the things that we have where even today, uh, something like 98% of all the Christian materials and scholarships, schools churches and resources are right here in this land you have just blessed us so much and uh, we've spit in your face oh forgive us lord and let us be salt and light as we should be and lord we want to pray that we would be faithful unto death and that we would be faithful if we have the privilege to live until you return and we do pray because we know you're going to do great things in Israel. We pray for that nation, for its protection and blessing. And I know the Prime Minister was in the hospital just recently. Bless uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and uh, President Herzog. And I pray, Lord, for churches that are in Israel, 
for them to grow and for them to blossom and for many of your people to come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. We pray for peace in Jerusalem. And we pray, Father, that all of this would cause us to just be reminded in the depths of our soul tonight. Our God reigns. Our God is victorious. Our God can never be defeated. And may we lean on the things that we know when we come to those times where there are so many things that we don't know and we don't understand. Give us wisdom and give us understanding where you, where, where you can and where your word speaks. But bless us and come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Maranatha, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.